Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, follow me once again to... Exodus chapter 20, we continue our study through uh, the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, today we'll be looking at verse number 12. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 12. The Bible says, Honor your father, and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you once again for this privilege that we have to be able to come into your house, to be able to worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us in spite of ourselves, that while we were yet sinners, you came and you died for us. You accomplished in the cross everything that was required for redemption. And that if we rest in you, Lord, that we can find hope, we can find forgiveness, we can find eternal life. We thank you that you sent to us the Holy Spirit who indwells us and who works to sanctify us and to bring us into conformity to the image of Christ. And we ask this morning that you would use the person of the Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth, to help us as we endeavor to understand your word, that you would implant the truth of your word in our inner being, that it will conform our way of thinking, that it will help us understand you better and help us understand how it is that we ought to live in this world in light of who you are and what you've called us to be and do. And we ask, Lord, that you would use this vessel to bring glory and honor to your holy name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you know, we have been in the Ten Commandments for some time now. And we have worked our way through the first table of the law, dealing with our vertical responsibility, our vertical relationship, our relationship with God. God has shown us who he is and why it is that we ought to honor him and worship him. He has shown to us in those first uh, four commandments, in the first table of the law, how it is we ought to come about worshiping, worshiping him rightly and reverently and regularly. And now we are making a transition into the second table of the law. Most of us uh, in here are old enough to have seen the Ten Commandments, right? The movie with Charlton Heston and him coming down off the mountain uh, with the stone tablets. Well, those stone tablets on them were engraved the law of God. God wrote them with his finger. Uh, and it was probably two copies of the same uh, Decalogue that God had written, one to go into the Ark of the Covenant as the copy that Israel would keep as their uh, representative of that uh, covenant, and one was for 
uh, God, uh, and that's the way covenants were done in those days. We generally look at the law in relation to this concept of two tables because it breaks up nicely that way with the first table being our relationship with God and the second table being our relationships with one another. And Jesus seems to uh, understand the law in that way. He summed the law up for us. If you remember in Matthew chapter 22, whenever the religious leaders come to him and says, Lord, what are rabbi, what, are the, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus told them to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest and first commandment. And he said the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so what did Jesus do? He summarized the first four tablets, uh, table, first four commandments on the first table of the law, and then he summarized the second uh, table of the law, the six remaining commandments. And today we come to the first of those commandments on this uh, second table of the law. And just as the first commandment on the first table, that you shall have no other gods before me, uh, was the umbrella under which the other three commandments fail on the first table of the law. It is that the fifth commandment is the umbrella under which all the remaining commandments fall. This is the preeminent commandment on the second table of the law. And we'll bring that <coughs> point out here in just a moment. So it is the transition uh, into how it is we ought to relate to one another in this world and how God requires us to relate to one another in this world. And so we're going to look at this commandment and we're going to unpack it with four main headings. First, we'll see the biblical preeminence of this commandment. Secondly, we'll look at the basic prescript. Then thirdly, we'll look at the benevolent promise that we see in the commandment. And then fourthly, we're going to look at the broader principles because as you know, in the introductory uh, sermons, we made this point that God's law is exceedingly broad. And while there is a temporal and contextual component to the face value of the law as we read it, there are always deeper moral implications related to these commandments and they are binding on all of us. While some of the ceremonial aspects and some of the civil aspects are no longer binding because those were particular to Israel, the moral principles that underlie these Ten Commandments are binding on all people in all places. I don't think just because Jesus came and died on the cross and bore our sins and made a way for us to be reconciled that God says, okay, now you don't have to honor your father and your mother. Now you don't have to worry about, you know, not murdering or not stealing. No, he requires all of us because these represent the very character of who God is. These were written on the hearts of men before the law was ever given to humanity. And so these are still binding on us today. And we need to understand how it is that it applies to us in a 21st century context. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at the biblical preeminence of this law. And one of the things that stands out as it being preeminent on this second table in particular is as the apostle Paul reminds us, this is the first commandment with a promise. You think about it. God's already given us four commandments, right? Love, hey, there is no other God. You shall have no other gods before me. There's no promise of blessing attached to that. He, he says, don't have any graven images. Don't make anything that looks like me or you think looks like me. And he doesn't give us a promise with that. He says, don't misuse my name in any way. And he didn't give us a promise with that. 
And he says, honor my day. Don't misuse my day. And he didn't give us a promise with that. It's not until the fifth commandment that God says to us, if you will do this, here is a promise that I give to you. Isn't that amazing? And there's no other commandment with a promise. This is the first and only commandment with a promise of blessing. And we'll talk more about that promise in just a moment. But that in and of itself ought to tell us that this command is important. Not that all the rest are not, but on this second table of the law, this command sets in the preeminent spot. And God has identified to that us identified that to us in at least this way, that he attached a promise specifically to this commandment. Now, here's the real threat in this promise. If you look at it from a historical standpoint, from the nation of Israel, listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 21, beginning in verse 18, as it relates to the breaking or violating of this commandment. He says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of, this, of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear and fear. Well, I guarantee you they would hear and fear if you brought your son and he was stoned to death because he was a rebellious, gluttonous, drunkard, stubborn child who wouldn't listen to you. And all of us should say, Lord, thank you that these civil laws in Israel do not, are not binding on us anymore. Amen, right? But that's the seriousness of this commandment. It was so serious in the nation of Israel that God attached capital punishment to this commandment. He saw it as evil and wickedness that needed to be purged from the nation. But praise God, for us, it would be more like, as Kevin DeYoung says, more like a church discipline kind of issue if we had a child that was continually rebellious, right? Uh, that in some way we would have to discipline that child. We wouldn't stone that child to death. But that shows you the gravity of how God sees the importance of obeying this commandment. Honor your father and your mother so that your days will be long in the land that I am giving you. So it's preeminent in that way. It's a very important commandment. The second thing I think that makes this commandment preeminent to us is because it really is rooted in the created order. Because in it, we see the fundamental reality of creation as God created humanity. What do we see? Who is it that is to be honored? It is to be father and mother 
So in father and mother, we have two genders, male and female. So it goes all the way back to the created order. In the beginning, what did God do? He created them male and female. So this commandment is inextricably linked to God's design for humanity. And if you don't believe that is so, if you don't want to go all the way back to Genesis, all you got to do is go to Ephesians where Paul talks about this. How does Paul bring this commandment into Ephesians chapter 6? He begins talking about how a husband should honor his wife and how a wife should respect the husband and how they ought to love one another in light of Christ and the church. And then he says, this is why a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife or be joined to his wife. And where does he get that from? Well, he gets that from the created order. And then he brings in Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four, where he tells children to obey your parents in the Lord. And then he quotes this commandment. I think he quotes it from Deuteronomy because of the promise that is attached in Ephesians. Uh, It's a little bit broader promise. And we'll talk about that in a moment as we look at the distinction. So this commandment brings us all the way back to the created order and it speaks to us about how God intended for humanity to exist as male and female. And more than that, what does he talk about? He talks about the concept of family, father and mother. And if you remember in the book of Genesis, what did God do in Genesis chapter two, when we have the, when we have a a little uh, microcosmic look at creation, you know, in Genesis chapter one, we get a broad picture of how God created things, how he created male, male, man and woman. And then in chapter two, he kind of focuses in on this creation of male and female of Adam and Eve. And then he says, Hey, the only thing that God says wasn't good in creation, it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so what did he do? He says, I'll make a help meet for him. And then he created Eve. And then Adam says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And the Lord says to them, he, he united them in marriage. Therefore, he says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. And the two shall be one flesh. And then he gives them responsibility. Part of that responsibility is to subdue the earth. The other part of that responsibility is to procreate, to to uh, multiply, right? And so if you think about Paul and you bring Paul's treatment of this from, uh, Ephesians back into the mix, Paul helps us understand that the family unit, this nuclear family, father, mother, children is a dynamic picture of Christ and his people, Christ and his church. So we learn from Paul, we learn from the created order that this idea of the nuclear family is fundamental to society. The way the nuclear family goes is the way society goes. Why is it that you think that everything in our society today is a direct attack on the concept of the created order, male and female, and the nuclear family? Because that is the building block of society. That's the way God intended for it to be. And so the enemy, Satan, and the spirit of this age is directly attacking God's created order in our gender and in our structure of family. And all of that is rooted in this one commandment. 
And Paul reminds us that this idea of family, as Vodibachum would say, has three primary purposes. Procreation, sanctification, and illustration. Isn't that what Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 is all about? It's about a father taking on the spiritual role that God has given him to be the shepherd of his family and to disciple his wife and to disciple his children and to lead them into becoming sanctified before holy God, being conformed to the image of Christ. And out of that, as the Lord reminds us in Malachi, what God's intent for marriage was, was ultimately to bring about godly offspring. And you and I need to understand that the fundamental and primary hub of evangelism and missions is in the home. You understand that? Yes, missionaries go around this world. We ought to go around this world. Those who God calls to that ministry, amen, praise the Lord. We need you to do that. But we ought not do those things without understanding that the primary and fundamental way God intended missions and evangelism to be done is in the family. That's where it starts. And it should flow out from there. So, if you wonder why we are working toward becoming a family integrated body of believers, that's just not something that I pulled out of the air. It is rooted and grounded in God's word all the way back to the Ten Commandments and all the way back to the created order that God intended for this world. That's why we are doing what we're doing. If we want to see change in our nation, in our community, it's going to come when fathers are equipped to disciple their families. And, you know, the caveat to that is, as I've heard someone say, well, they're not doing that. So we got to compensate. Well, let me ask you this. I love this. Again, I stole it from my favorite preacher in all the world, Bodie Bauckham. He says, hey, when people are not giving, you don't start a ministry to start giving for them, do you? What do you do? When people are not fulfilling other aspects of God's word that they ought to be fulfilling, we don't start a ministry to do that for them. What do we do? We continue to consistently disciple by teaching God's word. Pointing them to the precepts of scripture. Helping to disciple them to do what it is that God has called them to do. That's how we're going to change the world. That's how we're going to change this, this community. That's how we're going to change this nation. It's when we as families, what do you, and again, we, we pigeonhole this idea of family. We think if I don't have kids, I'm not a family then in that nuclear sense. If you are a woman and a man united in marriage, you are a family, right? And God intends for you as the family that you are to live in light of his word and to make him and his truth the central aspect of your family. And then use whatever influence you have to help other families see that truth as well. That's why we are trying to do what we are doing because it is rooted in God's created order and his moral law in the truth of his holy word.
And then finally, on that, that point of the preeminence of it, is this is the seminal relationship that all of us begin with. Is it not? How many in here have a father? Well, hopefully everybody raised their hand because all of us had to have a father, right, to be brought in this world. How many have a mother? All of us do, right? Our mothers may be gone on or our fathers may be gone on. But every one of us had to begin with a father and a mother, right? This is the seminal relationship that we understand in this world. And it is from that relationship that we ultimately learn how to interact in every other relationship that we have. And we'll talk about the exceptions that come to your mind already, right? Well, I had a terrible father and I had a terrible mother. Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But we must understand this is the first and primary relationship that all of us have in this world. And from that relationship, it is how we learn to relate to God and how we learn to relate to one another. That's why it is so important. And we must focus in on this relationship and this commandment. All right, moving on. That's the preeminent part of it. Now let's look at the basic precept of this commandment. On face value, it seems so simple, doesn't it? Now, the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. Now you would think that God would have said, obey your father and your mother, right? He, 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 it is inherent in this, and we'll talk about that. But when he says, honor your father and mother, he just put a broader spectrum on what this commandment means. It goes far beyond just mere obedience, right? You can take a, teach a dog to be obedient. This goes far beyond just mere obedience. That's part of it. So what does it mean when we talk about honoring our father and our mother? Well, well the Hebrew word behind it has to do literally with, with being weighty. All right? And it's a word that's used when we talk about glory and honor that relates to God because of the weightiness of who God is, right? And, and so the idea is that we ought, to, we ought to ascribe a similar, not exactly, but a similar weightiness to our father and our mother and our understanding of the position that they are in and the role that God has called them to play in our life. And David Kuzik, in his commentary on this passage, he gives us four aspects of what that ought to look like in, in our life as we try to honor our Parents. One, he says, to prize them. In other words, to cherish them in our hearts. To honor them as a prized possession, a gift from God. Secondly, he talks about this idea of respecting them. And that really goes hand in hand with this concept of honor, right? And, and there's an element of fear in there, right? How many of us feared uh, our uh, disappointing our parents, especially when we disobeyed them, right? We feared the consequences, but we also feared disappointing them, many of us, because we, we let them down. It's that awe and reverence for who they are and the position that they have. And so there's this, this idea of respect. And then there is this concept of obeying them when they ask you to do something, that you do that. As Paul, I think what Paul brought into the mix helps us understand that in a broader way. Obey them as unto the Lord, 
right? So we obey them as if we were obeying the Lord, but we also obey them as they obey the Lord. If they ask us to do things that are contrary to God's word, do we do that? No, we're not obligated to do that. But if we disobey, even in those, we need to understand that there may be consequences that come our way. But yet and still, we ought to be generally obedient to our parents, right? And then the, the third or fourth one that he talked about was to care for them. And, and that brings it to a different level, doesn't it? Because sometimes we think about honor our father and our mother. Well, that's just for kids, right? Once you get, once you get grown and gone, that, that, that's no bearing on you, right? I think that's why the Lord said it the way he did. Because this honor ought to carry on when we become adults, when we get married. Yes, the dynamic of our relationship changes a little bit, but we still ought to honor our parents. And part of that honor is to care for them to the best of our ability in their older ages, right? And then uh, Calvin kind of, he kind of lays out three that are very similar uh, in his understanding of what it means to honor our father and our mother. And and you'll see uh, the similarity in them. One is to revere them, right? To, To have that reverence for who they are and the position they have. And I get it, for some, it's easier than it is for others. But it's just like with, with, with Brett's president right now, right? I, I don't like him, and I don't like his policies, but I honor the position, right, of president, okay? Well, same thing with our parents. And again, that's one of the exceptions we need to get to, but we still honor them, even if they don't always do exactly what they ought to do. Because here's the reality of it. There's not a parent in this room who's the best that you could have ever been. On your best day, you're not the best that you could be. But praise be to God, for most of us on our worst day, we're not the worst we could be either, right? All of us are flawed. So we still honor them and revere that position that God has given to them. And then, you know, the second one Calvin says is obey them again. And, and I like the way that, again, I am a broken record, okay? And, and I have maybe three or four people that ultimately influence me when I think about uh, God's word. And so here, a quote from Vody Bauckham again. Uh, you guessed it. <laughs> when it deals with this idea of family and children, I love the way he put this. This is the way we believe when we were growing up or when we were raising our children. We just didn't, we just couldn't, we just didn't have, uh, we couldn't put it in these kind of words. He says, when it comes to obedience, a child ought to do what you say, when you say, with a respectful attitude. We, we, need, to, we need to go back to that in our society today. Stop, stop the counting. Stop to one, two, three. Because all you're doing is teaching delayed obedience. That's all you're doing. You're telling your child that you can do whatever it is you want to do until I get to three, and then I'm going to get serious about it. No. Our children ought to be taught to do what we say when we say it with a respectful attitude. And if they don't, consequences come immediately. Whatever that may be, you know, time out or whatever you want to do it. I don't like time out, Right? Because our son, in time out, you know what he did? He entertained himself. Right? <laughs> so whatever those consequences you need. But the point is, we need to be obedient. There, there is that aspect of honoring our parents, to obey them 
Do what they say, when they say, with a respectful attitude. And then the third one is, again, gratitude. And it encompasses a couple of those that we talked about. Listen to what Kevin DeYoung said about this idea of gratitude. He said, parenting is a constant sacrifice. It's joyful, but it's a sacrifice. Money, time, energy, desire, sleep, and sometimes tears. It's an office and a responsibility of great sacrifice. One of the ways that we can show honor to those who have sacrificed so much for us is by simply being grateful. Tell them thank you. Thank you for what they've done, right? No, they didn't do it perfectly. And none of us will if we're parents do it perfectly. But thank them for the sacrifice they made for you. If you can't do anything else, just thank them that they brought you in this world and gave you an opportunity at life. Don't be like the crazy people who sue their parents because they brought them into the world without their permission. That's hogwash, right? That, that's ludicrousy and stupidity. Thank them for the opportunity that they gave you. So that leads us to this idea of these exceptions. What about the exceptions, right? What if you had a terrible father? What if you had a father like I had who was a drunkard, okay? And... and my parents were divorced when I was four years old. And from that time on, all I ever knew of my father was he was an alcoholic and a drunkard. Whenever he would pick us up when it was his time, half the time he was drunk. He was stumbling down the halls, driving drunk, getting us home at 15 miles an hour going down the road, doing stupid things like kidnapping us and taking, to, taking us to a local hotel in the town that we live in, right? Well, what do you do about that? You know what you do? You honor that position. Did I always obey everything he said? No, because of what he said a lot of times had nothing to do with God's word. Had nothing to do with righteousness. Did we get in tiffs over his alcoholism? Yes, we did. But we still have to come to the place that we honor that position. That God used him, flawed as he was, to give me an opportunity for life. What about your mom? Same way. Honor them in spite of their flaws. That's what God's called us to do. And then what do you do? You turn to the only parent and father who is perfect. And that's God himself. And you find in him everything you were lacking in them. He can satisfy. Right? Now, the other question that comes to our mind, because, you know, when we get to God's law and get to commandments and we get to, you know, God says do and God says don't, we always want to see how close can I get to this line without going over, right? How, how close can I get to, to breaking this commandment and it not be sinful? Generally because we got something we want to do and we just want to get approval to do it, right? Well, you know, you guys know that's the wrong question, right? That's the wrong question. If we're thinking that way, we're thinking wrongly. We don't need to see how close we can get to it, right? And the other side of it, on this commandment in particular, is when do I stop? When can I quit obeying my parents? That's really what we get to, right? And sometimes we think when we're teenagers, we ought to be able to quit obeying our parents. Well, it's not about just obeying, it's about honoring, right? So when should we stop honoring our parents? Well, the short answer is never. Never stop honoring your parents. Now, when does the dynamic of our relationship change with our parents? It changes primarily when we get married, right? 
When we leave our father and our mother and we cleave to our spouse, the dynamic of that relationship changes because we come out from under the authority of our parents, right? And we begin our own family under the authority of God outright. Now, does that mean we don't honor them? No, we still honor them. We still try to accommodate their wishes. We still prize them and cherish them and love them and care for them. But the dynamic of our relationship does change. That's why it's so important for young people. And I, I know we, we got a few. We got a few young people here. It's why it's so important, young people. Listen, that you understand. It's why it's so important for fathers to understand. Fathers, in particular over your daughters, you have a responsibility to cover and guard them. They are under your charge in your household. They're under your protection and your care. And the same thing with your sons. You ought to care for them, protect them, and raise them to be godly parents, godly uh, spouses, and ultimately parents. And young people, you need to understand, you don't need to come out from under the charge of your parents until the day you're ready to get married. You understand that? I, I know in our society today, is we, we got to get out on our own. We got we to go, you know, be our own person or whatever. But I'm here to tell you, I think the biblical picture is that you are under the cover of your family until the day you get ready to get married. And then, daughter, when you get married, guess what? The cover and the protection and the spiritual leadership transfers from your father to your husband. That's the biblical design. That's the biblical way. We need to get back to that. We need to understand that. We need, we need to get rid of this dating concept. Because dating is just practicing for divorce. We need to get back to courtship. Right? Where we get to know them, they get to know us. On an extended period of time. And then when God sees fit, we join in holy matrimony. And the dynamic of that family relationship changes at that particular point. All right, let's look at the benevolent promise a little bit. The benevolent promise. Because in this promise, we see it in Exodus chapter 20, uh, in, in verse 12. It says, hey, uh, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you or that your God is giving you. And so on the face value, this promise is specifically to, to Israel, right? This promise is specifically to Israel on face value for the land that God was giving them, the promised land, the land of Canaan, if they would be obedient to the tenets of God's covenant, and in particular, this particular one, honoring your father and your mother, your days would be long on this land. Now, we saw the practical implication of that in Deuteronomy earlier, didn't we? Because the potential for shortening that life was there. Because if they were disobedient to their parents, they didn't honor their parents, they broke this commandment, it could lead to their death. <coughs> but as you know, this is a broader 
understanding of this promise. Now, now Deuteronomy changes it a little bit. When God gives it to Moses in Deuteronomy, he does expand on this promise. Look, in Deuteronomy chapter um, 16, well, it's verse 16. I didn't put the chapter there. You can go look it up. Google will tell you where it's at. It says, uh, that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land. So one just length of life. It was also wellness, fullness, in the land that God had given them. So what does that say for us? How does it relate to you and to me? Did it go away, this promise, with the Israelites? No, it didn't. You know why? Because Paul, whenever Paul quotes this, and again, I believe he quotes it from Deuteronomy. When Paul quotes, I think it's Deuteronomy 4, uh, verse 16. When Paul quotes this from Deuteronomy, he tweaks this promise to include everyone. Let me show you how he does it. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 3. He says, that it may go well with you and that you may live long. Depending on your translation here, some still have in the land. The Greek word is geis, uh, just G-E-S in the English uh, transliteration. And, and it means earth. And so the broader Implication is, this includes everybody who comes into faith in Christ. This is a general promise for those who come to faith in Christ. If you will honor your father and your mother, this promise is extended to all of God's people, both Jew and Gentile. Now, you remember when we were in Proverbs, we had to give this caveat to Proverbs. Because a lot of times what we'll do to Proverbs is we'll, we'll treat Proverbs like a law, Right? We'll say that God said this, therefore he must do that in this Proverbs. Well, you remember when we explained that, we said that Proverbs, is they're, they're not a promise, right? They're not a law. It's, it's more like a, it's more like a, a truism. Uh, it, in, in most cases, it is a reality, but there are always exceptions to that rule. Because we know that there are parents who did their uh, best to raise their kids as godly, God-honoring kids, and, and those kids still rebelled, and those kids continued to live a long life, right? And then there are those who were, who were godly, honorable children who have gone on to be with the Lord in what we would consider a premature life, right? They didn't live long. So there are always these exceptions to it. But as a general rule, if children grow up honoring their parents, it will teach them how to honor all authority in all other relationships and in a general rule that will bring goodness in their life, right? Why do you think it is that we see all the craziness that's going on in our world today with all of these young people who are going in and mobs and tearing apart these stores? Not always, but I guarantee you, if you look into the life of many of them, it is because they're in a fatherless home. And that has impacted the way they live. Again, this is not a, not a uh, perfect promise that always happens. It is a general promise. On a general sense, if a child grows up in a home and he honors his father and his mother, he learns how to do that, and he learns to honor and respect all authority and all relationships, generally his life will be well settled. Can you buy that? And that's what God is saying in this promise to us. 
And you and I ought to understand that the way we raise our kids will impact their life when they get out of our home. Because we're not raising children, we are raising future adults. Yes, they, they are children, they need to understand things, they need to have limits and, and, and rules, but as they grow, we need to understand they're going to grow into adults that need to be pro, proactive and, and productive in society. And so this is where all of that starts in the home. And then we look at the broader, broader principles and we'll be done. Here are the broader principles of this rule. How does it apply today in my life? Okay, How does it impact me? Well, first and foremost, we know honoring our parents. We ought to do that. But secondly, it has the broader perspective, biblically, of honoring all authority. In particular, those who are elderly in the church. Honoring and respecting our elders. We ought to teach our kids to do that. And again, we, we see that falling away in our society today, right? Kids have very little respect. Even societies and governments have very little respect for the elderly. I know many of you have probably seen what's going on in Canada in some places where they're, they're encouraging older people. Hey, let, let's go on and end your life early. That, that's part of their medical practice now. And don't think that is not going to creep its way to America. Just a, just a few presidents ago, we had a president who says, well, maybe we just need to give them a pill, right? And change the way we look at them. But God tells us we ought to honor our elderly members of society, in particular those in the church, as they are, were our fathers and our mothers. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. We ought to honor the elderly. Not only that, we ought to honor those who are, have been given spiritual charge over us. Listen to what the, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul as those who will have to give an account. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and, are, uh, and over you in the Lord and admonish them. And then what about secular authority? Doesn't Paul bring that into the picture in Romans chapter 12? We ought to honor, or chapter 13, rather. We ought to honor all authority. And we learn how to do that in our home. When we learn to honor our father and our mother. And then they will teach us to honor all authority. So if you're in a place of employment or if you're uh, where you deal with kids all the time and you find a kid that is honoring and respecting authority, well, you ought to thank their parents for that. Right? It starts in our home. And then the, the final thing on that is those who are in a place of honor, you're called to be honorable people. If you're a father and a mother, you ought to be an honorable father and mother. If you are a, an adult who is over children in any capacity, you ought to be an honorable adult. If you're a, a magistrate, governor, president, legislator, county commissioner, whatever it is, you ought to be an honorable one. If you're an employer, you ought to be an honorable employer. 
If we have that position of authority, we ought to live in an honorable way. So it would be easy for people to give us honor and show us honor. And so, so here's the invitation today. Maybe you are here today and you haven't been the most honorable of parent. Maybe you haven't been the most honorable of boss. Maybe you haven't been the most honorable of leader in whatever capacity that is. Well, today, come before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for not being the kind of leader that you called me to be and help me become what you've called me to be. And then secondly, maybe you're here today and you didn't have the most honorable mom or the most honorable dad. Whatever they've done, forgive them because they're flawed, just like you're flawed. Forgive them and ask God to help you to begin to honor them. And maybe you're here today and you haven't been the most honorable of child. You haven't honored your father and your mother. You hadn't been respectful to them. You think you know best. Well, let me, let me close by sharing this with you from Jesus. You remember Jesus told a parable about a father and two sons. And one of those sons says to his father, give me my inheritance right now. In essence, he says to his father, I wish you were dead, give me my money. Now, do you think that was worthy of Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 16? To go before the magistrate and say, I got a dishonorable son. Because what does he do? He goes into the far country and he squanders every bit of the money that his father gave him on drunkenness and gluttony and rebellion. And he finds himself in a pig pen eating the slop that the pigs are eating. If he didn't deserve to be stoned to death according to the law of Moses, I don't know a child that did. And you know what happened? That child, that son, came to his senses because the Lord brought him to his senses. And he said, the servant in my father's house is better off than I am. Let me go back to my father's house and be a servant. And he went back down that road that he left. And here's the most powerful part of that. He deserved to be stoned to death. He deserved to die. He deserved to be punished. It would have been a blessing for him to have been a servant. He didn't deserve even that. But when he came down that road, you know the story. Jesus said that the father ran to him. Right? What's the implication of that? The father had been looking for him every single day down that road. That's the only way he saw him coming that day. And he ran to him. He deserved to be punished. He deserved to be killed. But the father ran to him. He didn't deserve to be a son anymore. But what did the father do? He deserved to be stoned, but the father fell on him and kissed him. And he didn't make him a servant. He brought him back into the family. And he said, my son who was lost is now found. And they killed the fatted calf and they had a feast. That's grace. That's mercy. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, we're all children and we're all guilty.
But God, in his mercy and his grace, has shown us his love in Christ Jesus. So if you are that child today, repent and trust Christ. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to be in your word. And we just ask, Lord, that you would help us as parents be the kind of parents we need to be. Help us as leaders be the kind of leaders we need to be. Show us where our failures are and help us to overcome those in Christ Jesus. Lord, if there's a person in this room who's still in rebellion against Christ, that this morning they would come back just like the prodigal son did. And they would give their heart and their life to Jesus Christ. If there's a child who's been rebellious to their parent, that they would ask for forgiveness and they would begin to honor them. I pray, Lord, that you would you would speak in a way that would mend relationships today if they are broken. And we'll just give you the glory for what you're going to accomplish today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.